Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is April the 5th, 2019. Strong hand, long-term thinking, unconfiscatable. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Personal responsibility is new counterculture. Oh, I'm on fire. You better be valuing your wealth in Bitcoin. You better know that Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin because Jeet has returned to the show. And we've got two guys that have never been on the show before, but they're awesome dudes. They've got, they're out there on Twitter. I've linked to all of them below. So you better follow all these guys. David Bennett is also here. Phil Geiger is also here. And uh, David has a, uh, you've got a podcast, of course, and uh, you'll, you'll promote it and you can find it on his Twitter anyway. So check them all out. But we're going to start with the big news of the week. Now, of course, you're supposed to value your wealth in Bitcoin, but all you fiat freaks were going wild, like on April Fool's night or whatever night it was. And yeah, Bitcoin went from 4000 to 5000 It was a $1,000 candle. Yeah, we'll see more of them in the future. We've seen them in the past, newbies. Get used to it. But people are like, why did it happen? Why did it happen? I usually don't care why it happened. It just happened, okay? But the thing that intrigued me is because I hear all this talk about over-the-counter, but if you want to buy a lot of Bitcoin, you got to do it OTC. You got to do it OTC. I have met all sorts of freaks that have said, I want to get in touch with an OTC person. I am an OTC person. i never seen a trade consummated with OTC, okay? I've never... So then I hear, oh, there was a tremendous, three tremendous purchases on exchanges that, that boosted the price. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. Maybe some of these so-called wealthy people are just going to be like, I'm not dealing with OTC. It doesn't exist or it sort of exists. I'm just going to be buying it on the exchanges now, which would be awesome. I would love if all the rich people in the world just started buying it on the exchanges so we could see, you know, so the price could start spiking like mad. So, Gene, what, what is going on here? There is a new tweet out there that kind of that says that the, the, the original theory of three large purchases isn't true. What's going on? Yeah, so like you said, there was like that massive price move. Um, I was up uh, at night, uh, just happened to be up and happened to see it live. So I was like just tweeting constantly and, and it was just a fun time on, on Bitcoin Twitter. <laughs> but um, it was it was a huge move. Like you said, it was like 4,000 to 5,000. It was out of nowhere, no news really, nothing to drive it. And so everyone's been really confused on, on what could the drivers be. And there's been a lot of theories. So one theory is like you said, there's 20,000 Bitcoin that were purchased, 7,000 in three exchanges. It's all done algorithmically. Another person said there was a big uh, Russian consortium that knows that uh, sanctions are going to come. They started buying. Um, but the, the more interesting um, thing that came out was um, Cumberland. You got muted there. You muted yourself. What happened? Oh, you're uh, plug your uh, mic back in, Jeet. Oh, dude. Oh, there you go. Wait. Uh-oh. Right when he was getting to the punchline. I know, man. Oh, oh. man. I, I'm going to hear you here. He talks yeah, about what? Be here. Wait. Russian consortium? All these things. Pound that like button, people, for this. I'm on the edge of my street seat. And Jeet is figuring it out still. What happened? Keep talking, Jeet. Dude. Jeet, oh, hang on. Let's see. Jeet? All right. Well, 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 G figures out the sound because he will figure out the sound. David, what are, you, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on this? 
Oh, on the on the candle. Yeah, uh, I, w- I woke up, cranked up my computer because I missed the whole thing. So I see this massive green candle and I'm just like looking at it. My wife comes in. She's like, what's wrong? And I, I just point to the screen going, I don't know what this is because I haven't seen one of these things in so long. Uh, the only news that I've got on it is, you know, like the, the, the stuff that's in mainstream Bitcoin news. So like, you know, Cointelegraph is saying something about a series of 13 orders that the trading that the company and trading desk tracked and they all exceeded 1000 BTC. And what I had actually heard uh, before all that was something about there was a lot of OTC buying and then a whole bunch or some whales came along and decided to go ahead and and market buy, not OTC, but market buy this stuff and just cranked up whatever it is that they had bought OTC before. I don't know if any of that's true because I'm not plugged into that system. That's why we need Jeet to give us the answer. (laughs) All right, Phil, how about you? Yeah, so uh, I think this week was a pretty clear sign that the honey badger is emerging from its uh, long slumber to just slap the dollar in the face again. Um, you know, it's uh, it was a, a small slap. I think this next bull market, we're going to be seeing these types of moves pretty regularly. Um, I tweeted something earlier today, but, you know, in 2013, we saw like $100 moves. Before that, we were seeing Bitcoin move to $10 a day. Last bear bull market, it was uh, thousands per day. This next one's going to be $10,000 moves per day. So this was just a little, uh, I don't know, I think it was the honey badger just uh, stretching and, and uh, you know, shaking the cobwebs off. But it's just a small sample of what we're going to see in the next couple of years, I think. Oh, the future is bright. And now we're in the future with Jeet. Jeet, say something. Guys, can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> yes. Take, you were saying, continue with what you were right, saying. Sorry. I, I, don't know, I don't know. You guys probably already covered like half of you know, the big, the big headline news, which was, um, so Cumberland Mining, which is the, uh, one of the big OTC over-the-counter companies in Chicago, um, put out this tweet, which was analyzing the exchange data that they saw. And um, it looks like the um, 7K BTC buys weren't, it wasn't necessarily, there's no, no data backing that. But what they found is um, there was, within the span of an hour or two, there was a couple of, you know, 1,000 Bitcoin buy orders every second happening. And so when you see that much um, volume coming into an exchange, you see uh, what ends up happening is there's only so much liquidity in each exchange and it ends up um, like it ends up just having price spikes. Um, and, and also, um, you know, something that you mentioned earlier was like the reason, like you were talking about the secrecy of uh, over the counter. Um, so this is kind of interesting. Like the, the reason the price spiked is the reason why people generally don't like to buy on exchanges if you're purchasing in large volume. Um, and and what, it's the, what happens is called slippage. So if the person who started buying at 4K and ended buying at 5K, they had 20% slippage. So the first Bitcoin was bought at 4K. The last one was bought at 5K. So if you don't want to, you know, uh, suffer 20% um, declines, what you end up doing is going to an OCC desk and purchasing directly from them. And instead of charging you 20%, they'll charge you like, you know, maybe 1% or whatever their spread is. I'm not familiar with the current rates, but, um, and the other thing I'll say too is, um, there are all the, like some of what you're talking about where, you know, everyone's an OTC trader and everything like that. Like that's kind of true, but what ends up happening is, um, it, like people, um, know somebody who knows somebody who can do OTC. And so they start acting as agents and they try to, I think, you know, either pick up a fee or 
could also just be scammers that are trying to find whales and, and target them. But I think the, the bigger thing is that OTC desks do exist. And the reason they exist is to avoid these big price declines and price spikes when people start dumping or people start purchasing all of a sudden. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, this is the reason OTC exists. And it looks like somebody who's either naive or, you know, just decided to pump the price one day, just started buying. Okay. So, so you, your theory is that it's the person that did this was just naive. Didn't know, maybe they didn't know about OTC desk or could it possibly be it's just, it's just too much of a pain in the butt to deal with these OTC desks. I, I, yeah, it, it could be. So one of the things is anytime you deal with the OTC desks, they do run KYC on you and everything. Like they're like legitimate businesses, right? So this could be a guy who's maybe trying to avoid KYC. Who I mean, and he's willing to suffer 20% um, price slippage. Um, or it could be somebody who's naive because we've seen that before with um, the Mount Gox trustee last year. I mean, this guy, he's uh, you know entrusted with tens of thousands of Bitcoins and he's just an animal on every exchange, dumping Bitcoins every chance he can get, you know, not realizing that the fact that he's dumping the Bitcoins is feeding into the price decline. So there are people who aren't familiar with trading, like not all, like especially newer people or people who are used to much more liquid markets where you can buy and sell, you know, millions of dollars without a second thought. This market's not like that. So I think that there's a, there's a, there's a potential that it's just somebody who doesn't realize is not familiar with the market structure here. Well, I do hope that more and more people get fed up with the OTC and uh, come and uh, come to the exchanges and reveal what's going on behind the scenes there and uh, start start uh, pumping the fiat price. I, I'd like to see more $1,000 candles. Again, it, it will come. It will come. And what you, what you refer to, yeah, there are a lot of shady dudes that uh, approach about uh, OTC stuff. So I guess there's the legitimate OTC desk and then there's like the majority of other people who just want... Uh, percentages and who, who knows what they want hey adam can i ask g the question yeah sure please yeah g um i was conjecture or i had come into some conjecture that large otc buys were being done before and then somebody decided one of the whales decided to pull the trigger and market buy and by doing that pumped up the price of what they had originally bought on the otc is that is that possible yeah so um, all right. So this is, uh, uh, so I, I've been like, I, I'm not an OTC guy, right. But I've been talking, there's like some OTC people in Chicago that I've been talking to. Um, and this is all conjecture on my part as well. Um, but it's possible that somebody's like playing around with the price for sure. Because what you can do, um, if you think about how, um, you know, like if you guys have read flash boys by Michael Lewis, it's something that people do. It's like information matters. So if I, like if somebody, I know that somebody is um, making big purchases in the market before the rest of the market sees that I'll make big purchases myself, drive up the price. And then when he makes his purchase, I can sell into his order. Right. So it, you, you know, the conjecture that you're making that this is somebody who's potentially making big purchases. Maybe what they've done is um, they, they, uh, they sell in the market. Right. So there are, well, how would you play this? So you, you have a lot of Bitcoin, you realize that, um, or no, you, you realize that somebody's going to start making big purchases. So you pump the price. And then when they have to purchase, they have to, you know, buy a, a larger amount. Now, the problem is if the, the price spikes up 20%, that's a different story. Somebody might decide to like hold off for a minute until it comes back down. So it's not really clear. Um, it's not really clear that that's exactly what happened, but it's definitely possible that somebody is playing around with price. Now, I, I want to add that no chart could have predicted this. I mean, this is, you know, the people who are uh, so-called traders out there and traders like lose 90% of the time. Um, 
this is something, this could happen again. This could happen on a larger scale. You don't know when something like this is going to happen. You can get totally burnt. So I'm just I'm just throwing that out as a uh, public service announcement to, to all the people that you, 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 you really can't predict things like this. Agreed. Yeah, okay. Good. Uh, well, any, anything else on this uh, subject, anyone, before we move on to the ICO uh, SEC news? Yeah, I think uh, just one thing. I totally agree with you. Like, if you're if you're not a professional day trader, you're just going to be wrecked by these markets. So I always try to tell people to play a completely different game, right? And that's the long-term Hodor game. Take the Satoshis off of the exchange forever and uh, sit on them. Yes, that sounds very familiar. Strong hand, people. Long-term <laughs> thinking. Don't just again, again. If you leave your Satoshis on the exchange, come on, it's going to get hacked eventually. You're going to lose them. Cry, it'll be terrible. Okay, so moving on because you know, SEC ICOs for all, for all you uh, traders out there that you know are stuck holding bags of ICOs. The SEC sort of said something about ICOs this week. <laughs> it's still not exactly solid. What do you guys have to say about the SEC talking about ICOs? Uh, uh, Phil. Yeah, so uh, I think they they released some some statements that don't really come as much of a surprise to me, at least. I think probably do with the ICO issuers. But uh, you know, when you when you start off trying to raise money and you print a token, right, and then sell that token to people who are buying it in order to trade it or make money, like that's pretty much a security. I think we'll probably see you know, litigation over it for the next, you know, three to five years. But I don't know. <laughs> God, it's just yeah. going to keep the SEC. You'll drag it on. Everyone's going to drag this out. This is why I'm happy to be in Bitcoin. I don't have to worry about Okay. Uh, let's say, David, your thoughts on the SEC and ICOs. Well, from, from what I understand, this is a letter, um, basically a letter of no action from the SEC to answer the lawyer, a lawyer's letter from uh, TKG, TKJ Jet, some kind of like private jet company. Uh, they have two jets. And apparently they want to use their own secured, privatized, permissioned blockchain, quote, in blockchain in total air quotes, man, um, to be able to... Have their potential customers buy their token and then use it to, I don't know, jet around the world on one of their two jets. Now, the the quotes that I'm seeing here is that there's like two stipulations here. Um, is I think it says that first, the tokens have to be non-transferable. So they'll supposedly, you'll never see them in a trading pair. You're not able to give them to somebody else. And the other condition apparently is that it had the the company has to buy back the tokens that are uh, unused from their customers at a discount, which means the customer loses money. So if I buy ten thousand dollars worth of these things, use five grand of it, and then send the other five grand back to the company because that's the only person apparently that the SEC will allow to that I can transfer the tokens to. I actually take a haircut on those tokens. Um, this to me is just, 
I don't know. I don't really know what this is, quite frankly. Well, it, it was it was two different things. Like they did the letter, and then they had a statement also. So you you're talking about the letter aspect of it. Yeah, I'm, I am talking about the the letter aspect of it. But there there's the information that that is contained in this particular letter is going to end up propagating through the system of ICOs, in in so far as. It's I don't know. It's it, the stipulation is is really strong, and it's almost as if it's so strong that why use it? But you know, I'm I'm not sophisticated that way. That's sort of not where that's not where I dwell when I come to to Bitcoin because I can't say that I'm a Bitcoin maximalist only because I hold a bag of Doge. Okay, <laughs> and. I've held a bag of Doge ever since 2015, right? And I'm just, I'm too lazy to go sell it. But I, I just don't see, I don't see the value here of people having their their own token. I just, I just don't. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, like I said, not sophisticated. And I'm tr probably missing a much larger picture and I'm probably embarrassing, you know, the daylights out of myself, but... I don't see it, man. I just, I just don't. All right, now we're G is going to cl clear all this up. But before he talks about the SEC, uh, you know, uh, you just mentioned Doge. G, can you, um, can you talk about your uh, Doge uh, tweet real quick that you you had recently? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so th this was a, this was kind of tongue in cheek, but kind of real as well. Yeah. So there was a there's a developer re uh, report that's um, put out by Electric Capital. And they looked at all the development activity across all the coins, you know, for, and it showed like developer activity on one axis and, uh, and then um, the value of the coin on the other axis. Uh, and and it, what it showed is there's a couple of different things. One of the things was like Bitcoin is the most valuable per developer. Ethereum has the most developers. There's some coins that have zero developers and one of them was Dogecoin. <laughs> but what's interesting is this coin is worth like half a, half a billion dollars. So it's kind of, it, like, I feel it was just kind of a joke, but it's kind of true that Dogecoin has achieved its final form. Like it's completely ossified. There's no further changes that are needed. You have a miner community, you have a user community and people love the thing and it just works. And what was funny is uh, Josh Cincinnati, who's in the Zcash Foundation, he, he, thought it was, he thought it was pretty funny, but he actually has made the point before. And so he linked to a talk where he talks about that's how he views the Zcash uh, community moving as well. So it's just kind of an interesting point because that's something that people talk about Bitcoin moving towards eventually that, you know, the developer community and the ability for developers to introduce bad code or malicious code is there. And with Core, we have a solid process where there's a lot of review and things are screened, but there's still the opportunity. Um, and once Bitcoin gets large enough, the, the value of messing with the code somehow is going to be enough that people will try to do it. So it's good to get ahead of that and talk about ossification and you know, not being, uh, not having a ton of changes. No, and, and it's really seriously, investors also, they don't want to invest in something that's going to change. It's going to totally uh, be, I mean, some of these centralized altcoins, they can change in so many different ways. And I think uh, uh, Andreas has also used that that term ossification to describe uh, uh, the, the per perhaps the, the the base layer of Bitcoin is, is is almost there, but yeah, that is a positive for Dogecoin. It ha <laughs> it is the first. It, it's the. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a top tier altcoin, but it's probably a second tier altcoin. It's uh, it's ossified. It, it, it it's a serious thing. So who knows what will happen to those bags? But again, just everyone, just because I'm saying the word Dogecoin, uh, I'm only saying it to show you an example of ossification. It doesn't mean. Uh, Remember, just buy and hold Bitcoin. Okay, G. Now right. explain. Now explain the SEC. Uh, 
your take on the whole yeah, SEC. So I, I think David's got a much uh, smaller take than I did, but um, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because the SEC is in a weird position, and all these regulators are in weird positions where. You know, the risk is if they crack down too much, then the U.S. becomes unhospitable to like the new era of innovation that's happening in, in um, cryptocurrency, innovate, uh, encryption, all these interesting things that people are trying and doing. The risk is that if they crack down too much, people get out of the country and try to do it somewhere else. Right. And with because um, it's all Internet based, you don't need to you can be wherever you want. You could be in Puerto Rico or so, you know, in another country if you wanted. Um, but it looks like they've made a statement now. Um, it's unclear how this actually impacts people because, it's, you know, once you're successful enough and you have enough people supporting you, the SEC is not going to crack down. Like, they obviously didn't crack down on ETH, uh, on Ethereum, even though, you know, it was a security, the distribution was unfair at the beginning, and there's all these factors where, you know, normally you would see them cracking down, but it's so successful to have so many institutional supporters that people aren't cracking down. So I think ICOs and all this stuff is going to continue to be a gray area until, like, things get finally settled. Um, but what I would say is, as an individual, if you're thinking about doing an ICO, like, please think twice about it, because uh, anecdotally, I've heard in Canada, there was an ICO where they were using the funds to buy Lambos and things for themselves, and um, and uh, they're starting to crack down on them, and they filed, the prosecutors filed a lawsuit against them. So I think that's going to eventually happen. And if it doesn't happen from some government regulator, it's going to happen from individuals. And, um, you know, we're just so early in this space, it doesn't make sense to start taking those kinds of risks. Uh, unnecessarily so yeah dudes but, don't do your own ico you, you, you don't want the you don't want the united states government knocking on your do door one day i mean that is a uh, again i've been to events and you see everybody and their mother doing these things uh no it, it's not it's definitely not worth the risk uh they're not exactly clear on the direction this is going to go in and if you live in the united states you're under their jurisdiction uh the, the sec why why even mess with them just hold hold your bitcoin it's it's why can't everybody wants to complicate matters everybody wants to get, and you know what i do hope i hope in the future there are all sorts of icos i hope that the stock market is ico'd and whatever but uh i'm i'm in no rush to mess in that space and i, I don't recommend people uh, to, uh definitely not starting their own icos uh, okay so we'll, we'll move on from this unless anyone else has anything else to say about that uh yeah just one thing that add about ICOs, like, you know, it, it sounds like such a good idea if you're forming a team of people and trying to develop a cool project to raise money by just issuing a token. But what we've seen, uh, you know, over the last five years or whatever, is that you're now competing on two different arenas, right? You're competing against Bitcoin as a sort of currency, regardless of if you as a team want it to be a currency. And then on top of that, you have to deliver a cool product. So you've immediately like split your resources between managing a currency and managing whatever product you're trying to make. It just seems like it complicates things. Like just develop a cool product, sell it to people for Bitcoin, move on. All right, good. Pound that like button, everybody. And remember, check out all the links below. All these guys are linked to below. I have a new show here every single day. So keep on coming back to disruptmeister.com. Follow me on Twitter at TechBalt, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T. Okay, so are the institutions making a move here? Are the institute here? There is a tweet out there by BitBit Crypto, and I sent it to all you guys, uh, and it's linked to below. Bitcoin CME futures hitting a new volume record yesterday. Every contract represents five BTC, which means 108,000 Bitcoin or 544 million dollars. Increasing increasing volume in Bitcoin futures is pointing is pointing on rising institutional interest. With these numbers gradually growing, the chance of an ETF is growing as well. 
Okay, so that's a big thing there. CME numbers, CME, their numbers are growing. Is this a sign that the institutions are getting in? Is this a sign that an ETF is on the way? Uh, what do you have to say about this, David? I'm going to pass on this one. I want to hear what Jeet has to say first, man. <laughs> but David, didn't you talk about this on your show, man? I thought you talked about this. Okay. I, yeah, I, I talked. I, I talked about it, but again, in, in a more kind of a glancing blow kind of way. And I'm I'm sure that that uh, our other two guests have a little bit more solid grounding in that. And I'd kind of like to. Wait, I, I, we'll, we'll <laughs> We'll go to Phil. Because Phil, you were the one who sent yes. me that tweet. Phil sent me that tweet. So Phil, Phil first, then G, then you. Sure. Yeah. I think that the the CME volume things are really interesting. Um, just for a few reasons. Like, first of all, I think that one tweet was the only place that I saw this news, right? So when we when we hear about um, Bitcoin or futures, in particular, like the CBOE over the past few weeks, we hear all these negative um arguments about it, like CBOE is closing down and, you know, this is bad for Bitcoin, but, you know, slowly in the background and kind of quietly, you see the CME volumes continuing to just grow. And then we're hitting all time high futures contracts. And this is great. This is a great thing for Bitcoin because it's a strictly scarce resource and you have more money, more focus and more energy on it. Um, yeah. So, you know, pretty much in my in my mind like any additional energy and time and focus spent on bitcoin is in the long term going to be a really good thing for bitcoin all right yeah, yeah i I, uh, I totally agree with that whole idea that the more like financial institutions the more ability that uh, larger players have to trade in bitcoin in a safe way and to get exposure to bitcoin in a safe way uh, is better for bitcoin um, what I don't understand fully about the futures is who exactly is doing the buying and selling. And I don't know if they want to reveal that, but the way that I think about it is, you know, miners and exchanges are getting exposure to Bitcoin because they're mining or, uh, you know, trading, and then they need to sell that on. So they're either using the futures or they're using, they're selling to an OTC desk who's taking a big position and they need to like hedge their risk. So what this allows is, People like somebody like a big OTC desk can take on a ton of exposure and then hedge part of that exposure using the futures contract. And so um, it just allows for more movement of money. And so like people who don't want to take risk in Bitcoin don't have to, but they can also still get involved. So you want the miner to mine. You want more miners to mine. You want miners to mine who don't care about Bitcoin. They're just in it for the economic incentive, right? So that's pretty exciting. And then the other thing that's really cool about it is, um, I don't know if you guys saw the Bitwise report. I think you discussed it on a show last week. Yeah. Yeah. So the coolest thing in there was that they were saying like, look, there's a ton of fake volume, but the volume that is legitimate is about $300 million. And then there's an additional $100 million of futures volume. And then so you got $300 million of volume that's um, like legitimate and mostly with uh, like regulated exchanges, except for Binance. And then you have an additional 100 million of futures contracts, which are like 100% locked down, fully monitored. And so you've got $400 million of volume, which is totally legitimate every single day. And, and um, so, you know, in terms of like an ETF and everything else, like the more futures volume there is, the more legitimate um, the application for an ETF becomes. Okay, good. I'm glad you, you tied it, it explained why uh, the ETF might be getting closer because of this. That was that was a good tie in there because I was I was curious how that fit in. Uh, you uh, so David, do you have thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I'm just if 
there's, you know, about when it gets, comes to futures, there's a lot of times when I'm, I'm asking myself why, you know, why, why futures in the first place? Because a lot of times, unless you're taking physical delivery of the commodity involved, then it's just nothing but gambling. And again, I, I, I don't, I don't get it because if I want to go, if I want to go do play with my money, I can go to Vegas and put my money into a brown paper bag and pour diesel on it. And then I can set it on fire and throw it out of a window. Now, with that said, with, with that said, Jeet's right. Um, it, the, the exposure in the news, you get, you know, it, there's no such thing as bad press, right? Okay. So, and then with that said, I do, there, there's a story comes to mind about something that happened a long time ago with a company that did take physical delivery of the commodity in question. And it made that company. And that company is Southwest Airlines. Are you familiar with the story? Yeah. Explain, elaborate. <clears throat> well, the way, the way that it goes is that they had a guy in Southwest Airlines that was basically saying, we need to deal in jet fuel futures. And so played around and played around. They got a little bit better at it. And then finally, one day, the guy, I guess he's looking at charts and he's, and he's looking at what's going on in the oil industry. And he's like, we need to buy a major amount of jet fuel futures right now because this crap is going to spike and it's going to put a whole bunch of other airlines out of business because they're going to have to raise their rates so high to be able to cover the fuel cost that people are going to just want to go to us because we're not going to have that problem. They did it, and that's exactly what happened. Fuel prices rocketed, but the the Southwest crew had already taken or had basically had contracts that were filled with all this cheap jet fuel, and they were able to undercut every single airline in the industry for long enough that Southwest became a major carrier in the United States. Now, how does you know I, I can't really make this fit with with what can happen in with bitcoin futures and physical delivery of bitcoin but i my suspicion is that something like that may occur some kind of black swan event where somebody was smart about it and saw the writing on the wall and was able to take physical possession of bitcoin due to uh, futures contracts in a good play and a, a, a huge company might actually be born out of that. Now, that kind of future trading, that's the only kind that actually makes sense to me is the physical delivery. Cash settled stuff, I mean, it's just, for me, it's just gambling. But then again, I don't look at charts all day and I don't, well, okay, I, I lie. I look at I, I look at the BTC price chart all day because it's just one of the tabs, right? You know, it's one of the tabs of my browser. But other than that, I don't make ascending and descending triangles. I don't try to trade on it because I don't want to lose my Bitcoin. Dude, I, I agree with you about the gambling, except when it's the physical delivery. I, I, I'm on the same page as you with that stuff. Uh, as, as a regular dude, I wouldn't mess around with the future stuff. What the heck? Give me the real thing. I want to hold the real thing. I want the real Bitcoin. All right, uh, Jeet, did you have something to say about that? Uh, two things to say. So one, there's this awesome Jameson Lop tweet where he says, um, you know, the, the mouse does like, it, you know, if uh, what has this? Oh man, I'm gonna forget it now. It's uh, <laughs> the mouse doesn't know, or the mouse like like if you don't know like why you're being you know if, if you don't know why you're being offered something for free, you're kind of like a mouse that's going for the cheese in a mouse trap, right? And um, that's I think how 
most retail traders are when it comes to uh, trading with leverage. So BitMEX offers an interesting service, but you know the idea that they're offering 100x leverage um, is just it's just an insane thing to offer retail traders because they're going to get wiped out. And yep. uh, trading with leverage, that's exactly kind of what happens. And, it, you know, I think everyone should, one should have the right to do it. But I also think that it's important that people don't do it and they understand the, the risks of doing it because people are offering you that because they want to take your Bitcoin. Uh, and understand that everyone's a scammer. That should be your mindset that it's adversarial. Everyone you're dealing with is in some way trying to steal your Bitcoin. Um, you know, whether it's like the guy who's saying, oh, I, I know an OTC guy. He wants to buy 5,000 Bitcoin. That guy's trying to figure out if you have 5,000 Bitcoin so he can simjack you and steal your Bitcoin. Like there's, there's a, you, should, you should think through how people are going to try to take your Bitcoin because they're going to try to. Um, and then also just to comment on David's story on the South, Southwest thing. So I, I remember hearing that story a while back, I think in like college, and they were like explaining like this is why like finance is important. I didn't, I didn't understand the whole context that, um, that that's how Southwest was able to build out their company while the rest of the industry floundered. Um, but that's kind of interesting to hear. I think um, – the parallel there is that the airline industry is completely uh, profitless. So if you look over the last 50 years, like no one's made a profit except maybe Southwest during that 10-year period. Um, but it's because anytime somebody adds more capacity, it reduces the profitability for everyone else. And people are adding capacity at odd times and everything else. So I think it's parallel to Bitcoin mining. So you can imagine that um, if you're a Bitcoin miner, you're in constant competition with um, people who have a lot more money than you do, people who are manufacturing their own chips, and so they have an advantage over you that are using newer technology, people who have access to hydro dams and different sources of low-cost uh, energy. And um, Futures, I think, offers an opportunity for people like that to kind of hedge their risk in some way and try to eke out some level of profitability in an intense game. So uh, it's a good thing. Yeah, thanks for that, clarifi those clarifications. And uh, Phil, thank you for uh, notifying me of this story. And yeah, I'm proud to talk about stories that no one else is talking about. People should have heard about this. Uh, Phil, since yeah. you brought up, do you have any closing remarks on this uh, subject matter? Um, yeah, nothing really serious. I would say like Southwest Airlines did pretty well playing the uh, jet fuel futures markets. Um, if you're if you're dealing with physically settled Bitcoin, you're playing with the rocket fuel future markets. So <laughs> to the moon, yeah. pound <laughs> that like button, people. So that be be careful. I mean, you, you can get burned, right? But but yeah, it's you know. All right, that, that, <laughs> that, that was that was very nice. All right, so let, let's let's move on to the next subject, which is actually a tweet by Jeet, and that rhymes. And he, what did he have to say here? We'll, we'll start out with you, Jeet. Coinbase slash Binance may end up being the Google slash Facebook of crypto in terms of acquiring everything that could potentially threaten their position on top. Dude, I, that, I, I thought about that. And, you know, a lot of people like to rip on Coinbase and everything, but they are in a position where they could buy everybody else out and they will be, they'll be left king of the heap there, king of... Uh, top of the heap uh talk about this a little bit more while you were thinking about this yeah so i was um i'm like going over uh, peter Thiel quotes um for some research that i'm doing and um one of the things that's that's actually a thing that he talks about that you know google is uh, is a winner not because they're the first uh, search engine because there was like alta vista yahoo and ask jeeves but they're the last search engine so they like did a 10x product over everyone else and they're just a cash cow they're just printing money right now with their search product but one of the things he points out, too, is that people like Facebook and um, – well, Facebook less so, but maybe Google more so, where they're just printing money. They're printing so much money that they don't have uh, anywhere to spend it. So 
the best business or like one format of really strong business growth is when you have a reinvestment moat. So you make a ton of money and you reinvest it right back in the business. So that's like a franchisor. So if you're the guy who invented Domino's, all the money that you get, you can use to open new stores, for example, right? Um, Well, for Google, they've invented the search engine. They can optimize it as much as they want, but it's not going to cost them hundreds of billions of dollars, which is the cash they have on their balance sheet. So what do they do next? And so if you think about the valuation of Google, it's, you know, a big chunk of it is their ability to continue to generate this cash flow 20 years down the line. And so what they're doing is guaranteeing that ability. So they're looking at stuff that could take over Mindshare and they're purchasing it. So um, Facebook's a good example. Facebook is uh, super into data, right? And if you, if you um, follow the podcast and you like read up on some of the people who were on their growth team, all the, they track literally everything and they have this in their DNA. They probably saw the growth that Instagram was having and they know that with network effects, like somebody like that could take away their network effect. So they purchased Instagram. When they purchased it, people said, you guys are crazy. You way overpaid. This is like a shitty app. It's used by teenage, teenagers. Um, and um, uh, sorry, I, I swore that. I didn't mean to do that. Sorry about that. Uh, but, uh, but Skip now, over it. Skip over it. <laughs> Instagram is, is like the king of uh, social media. Like none of the young kids actually use Facebook anymore because it's for old people. So they were able to overpay for Instagram, but because a winner is a winner in this space, you gotta, you gotta purchase anything that's gonna take away your attention. And the parallel is Coinbase and Binance. Like Coinbase came out with the, uh, the they called it a couple of different things, Coinbase wallet, Toshi. And it's like a DAP wallet. It allows you to use decentralized apps on Ethereum. And um, it was funny because there's other wallet, trust wallet or trust something. And um, I remember like going through and like comparing all these different wallets and seeing what the features were. They were like exact copies of each other, but Binance is sitting over there. They're a huge exchange. They don't have a wallet. So how do they do that? They can try to build their own wallet or they can just buy this trust wallet, which they ended up doing. Um, And then Coinbase started offering staking as a service. Sure enough, Binance started offering staking as a service. So they're all trying to copy each other's product features. If there's something that they can't build easily, they're going to go out and try to acquire it. And so I really do anticipate a lot more acquires from these guys who are cash heavy in the balance sheet. And they want to like, they're playing to win. They want to like sweep the table and take things off the table if they can. So they, they want to be, la- they don't want to be first. They want to be the last. They want to be the survivors. They, exactly. And so you can foresee, based upon the, the path that Google took, and I know this is a, a giant comparison, but you could see those two being the top of the heap at the end of the day, Binance and uh, Coinbase. Yeah. I mean, this is the way I look at it. Like Coinbase is big in the United. If you look at uh, the average revenue or profit per user, People in the United States are far more profitable than people in, um, you know, any kind of uh, less developed country, right? That's just a fact. Like, and it's also 300 million people versus Canada, which has like, you know, far less people, right? And versus any country in Europe, which has very small concentrations of people, people who aren't as like digitally native and all that type of stuff. And they're like less apt to do frontier crypto investing. So if you dominate the U.S. market, you have a cash cow and they do. And if you look at what Coinbase and Gemini and the other uh, exchanges are doing, they're, they're encouraging more regulation because what they want to do is raise the, the costs of starting an exchange and maintaining an exchange so that people who are less well-funded than them can't compete. And this is a common tactic. And so they're doing that. They're going to maintain the U.S. So they're here to stay. And then Binance is just so operationally efficient and they just do like they just give you what you want. You know, if you go on Binance, people want more tokens. They're giving you more tokens. Um, you know, people want uh, Lambo. So they're doing Lambo uh, giveaways. People want staking, so they're giving you staking. Like, they're trying to do everything they possibly can to meet everybody who's not in the U.S. and, like, young people in the U.S. who are willing to take the risks of using their exchange. So 
I don't see who else is going to come out and beat them. I do see a place for like country specific exchanges. So, you know, if you're in um, Cambodia, like I imagine if somebody wants to start an exchange in Cambodia, they could dominate the market pretty quickly by addressing things, having language in Cambodia, having local events, things like that. There's opportunity there. Just incredible points on your part. Um, you know, the, the popular theme on crypto Twitter is, uh, you know, delete Coinbase. Like, like Coinbase has has met its end. And I I have repeatedly said on this, no, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're, they're big and they're going to survive and they could win. And you're reminding us how important the U.S. market is. I think a lot of people, I mean, it's awesome that, the, that crypto is all over the world, but I and people have always asked me, you know, where is it the most popular? Where is this? And I say in the U.S. It, yeah, <laughs> it's, let, you know. I'm just, gonna, I'm just let me just follow that up. Like I'm one of those delete Coinbase people, partly because like they deleted my account, and it was for no reason. Um, I literally didn't like use it at all. It was like when I was first starting, but uh, they flagged me as like a suspicious person. For oh. no reason. Like I, I'm like I, you know, I'll give you my like passport, like whatever you want. Just like give me access to buy and sell, and. Uh, their support people to this day haven't responded. So I'm, I'm not sure, you know, that's just my experience. I know other people have had similar experiences, but, um, and it's encouraged them to, you know, a lot of people have had similar experiences as me and they've like gone into doing things like Monero and stuff like that. Like the guy who invented uh, cake wallet, which is the Monero wallet. He has the same story where all of a sudden you find out one day Coinbase has deleted your account and just canceled you. You got no choice. So, you know, there definitely should be more competition, but it's just a very difficult field to play in. Right. All right. So do delete Coinbase if you can. Yeah. Well, I, again, but but the point is, is like we we yeah. all like, and I'm I'm no fan either. But in the end of the day, they they're uh, they've got an advantage here, and you might not like that they're doing all sorts of horrible coins on there, or quote unquote horrible. Coins, but that's that's what the people want. That's what the eighty percenters want. And, uh, anyway, you got Phil. Your thoughts on this at all? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on this one. Um, <laughs> I would say first of all, Coinbase is taking like a similar strategy to a lot of other like crypto companies that we're seeing. So they're doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on adding a bunch of these crypto assets. Um, I think at the same time, they're kind of missing the innovation behind like how they became a company in the first place. And that's Bitcoin. Uh, so what we're seeing kind of behind the scenes or with a couple different companies um, such as Fidelity or Square, is we have these more traditional finance companies that are starting to add Bitcoin functionality. And I think like because of the amount of users Fidelity and Square have compared to um, Coinbase, like Coinbase is gonna be obsolete in, in another few years. And we've already seen um, a lot of very, very large companies get hit pretty hard if they start treating Bitcoin as a second class citizen. I mean, if you look at what happened with Bitmain, right? Like they were on top of the world in 2017. Uh, they doubled, tripled, quadrupled down on all these shit coins. And then now we're seeing them really, really struggling right now. I mean, they're gonna be around for a few more years, but the industry is kind of moving on. Well, but the thing is that Coinbase could just buy up a company that does something that they need. I mean, I, th I think that's, yeah, that's one of the points too. I don't yeah. think they're going to be buying Square Fidelity anytime soon. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. All right. Yeah. It, Phil, Phil's got a really good point because if you if you think about it, like if like a lot of people have their four hundred one ks in uh, Fidelity. So if you're like you know you're you work with a company and you've got a four hundred one k, you can you know imagine if Fidelity adds the option um, to just purchase Bitcoin like through your tax advantage account, you could save on taxes and purchase Bitcoin and be open to like however you know i think 50 percent of u.s households have stocks so like it's like a whole other market that potentially opens out there 
And so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're in this, this like complete bubble being in the Bitcoin or crypto industry. And when you take a step back and look at everything, like it's, it's something like less than one, certainly less than 1% of the global population owns any cryptocurrencies. And then those of us who do own Bitcoin, um, I don't think any of us can say that we have our entire life savings in Bitcoin, right? That would be crazy. So like, if this thing is, <laughs> yeah, if this thing, if this thing's gonna, if this thing's gonna like really take off, it means that we're measuring everything in Bitcoin, and everyone around us is using BTC uh, daily, you know, spending and holding or whatever, saving in it. Um, so we're so unbelievably early that, from my perspective, the big uh, the big up and coming markets are just trying to figure out how we get more adoption. Um, so yeah, I see products like the Cash App and Fidelity Digital Assets and Lolly even, like just earning Bitcoin passively throughout normal purchases. These are the types of things that I think are gonna drive the next really big adoption wave. Nice Lolly shout out. I'm sure they appreciate they've been on the show before. David, you've probably got a lot to say now about everything that was just said. Uh, yeah, the Coinbase. Uh, yeah, it was my first on-ramp. I think it was like, you know, if, because I got into this whole thing September of 2015, and that was the only game in town, man. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, short of getting real weird, I just and not, you know, at the time I was like, look, man, I just want to buy $250 of this to figure out how it works. And now that you know you're you know, waist deep in the rabbit hole, I look at it, all the things that Coinbase has done, and especially since this last thing, uh, hiring the digital terrorists, um, I just keep looking at how many times you know brian has really messed up and it hasn't hurt coinbase and 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 i i agree with the delete coinbase movement but i also am a realist man i mean it's probably not going to hurt them because they already have in place a mergers and acquisition team it, it if they haven't said publicly then they've got it privately nobody gets that big and just hangs around on the fence without going full-blown figuring out how to do m a and I think that they're just going to grow like a like a behemoth. But thankfully, we do have things like Square and Fidelity that's going to balance that uh, the BS power um, that Coinbase is spewing out. Because you know, and they'll continue to make mistakes. I mean, they've already lost their. Oh, I can't remember what her what her name is. She was the one that was trying to deal with the fallout from the digital terrorists to hire, and she just jumped ship. And, and, and she bailed. So, you know, it's, but even with all the pain, the suffering that, that Coinbase is, is, has gone through over the years, I don't see him getting any smaller. So I think it would be dangerous for us to go around thinking that Coinbase is not dangerous to, to the ecosystem. I think they are a real danger to the ecosystem and that's why I don't use them anymore. I use Square. If I'm gonna buy Bitcoin, I can just buy it through Square. And, you know, but uh, I think Fidelity is going to have just, I mean, they have old school M&A people. And so they're, they're in the, they're in the same position and it'll be, I think, I think the direction is not going to be shown by where Coinbase goes. I think the direction is going to be shown by where Square goes, what Fidelity does and what these other people do, because when you start stacking that side of the scale, all of a sudden, 
the more you stack that side of the scale, Coinbase gets a little lighter in the loafers, you know? And so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what direction these other companies take. I, I've already been really impressed. I, I, I'm not giving Jack a pass on, you know, because of some of the stuff that's been pulled on Twitter. Um, there's a lot of people that have gotten deleted. I don't have never listened to them <laughs> because I don't like their content and I have the choice not to listen to the content. Having somebody taken away from me, I, I, I don't think Jack's making the good decision there, but Jack's made a really good decision about Bitcoin and he's made a really good decision about how Square is, is functioning. And I'd, I'd like to actually have the people from Fidelity be a little bit more public like Jack is about what it is, what, what's their mindset? Because I don't hear a lot about that as to, except, you know, what you get off of CNBC and I don't listen to that anymore. Fidelity so. has been leaking some stuff out slowly. I mean, they've, they've created some pages. I, 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 I understand what you're saying. And I'm, I'm glad you don't uh, blindly follow Jack and, uh, and, you know, you know, who knows why he's in this Bitcoin thing. He's not, he's not the savior. No one's the savior of, of, right. of Bitcoin. I, I like your, I like your approach to that. Definitely good. Because yeah, you can't forget what he's done on Twitter and he, he kind of plays dumb on, on some of the stuff that goes on on Twitter. And maybe yep. he, maybe he doesn't know what's going on. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not too worried. Yeah. About and, it. and let me just jump in there on the Twitter thing. Like, I think it's important to, to point out that it always starts with undesirable people, right? Nobody's mm -hmm. going to defend the people that they're um, kind of kicking out. But then it moves on to other stuff. And you never know, like, the type of stuff they're pulling because, you know, in addition to just blatantly kicking people off the platform, they're also playing around with the algorithms. And it's kind of, um, you know, this is like what we like about Bitcoin, that it's socially scalable. Like, there's nobody making decisions. It's like, it is what, like, what you see is what you get. It is what it is. It's very, very clear. Um, and nobody can, you know, change things around in the background. With Twitter, they're constantly manipulating the algorithms and, um, and who gets, uh, you know, highlighted, who gets shows up in the moments. Um, some people get uh, shadow banned and they've also, you know, it's not just undesirables in the U S there's all, also, they, you know, they're um, susceptible to changing stuff from, from stuff from other countries. So, uh, you know, there's like, you know, very specific websites um, that they've banned, which they shouldn't have, which, you know, you're not allowed to tweet about. If you put it in a tweet, it doesn't go out. Right. And um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's more than just the few undesirable people that get covered in the news. They're also like impacting people in other countries as well. So I, mm -hmm. I don't think, um, I don't think it's crazy to point out that that's a lot of power and that it should maybe be a little bit clearer about it, about yep. how they're, you know, who they're banning and everything else. So totally yeah. agree with your points. All right. Let us, uh, let's move on to bolts. 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 Yeah. What, what's up with this, David? What's up with this bolts thing? It, lo it looks like a front-end GUI to submarine swaps. That's, that's what it appears to be to me. So what, that, what does that mean? Well, submarine swaps being able to leverage both the Bitcoin main chain and the Lightning Network to get in and out of each chain relatively painlessly uh, so that I can get BTC into my Lightning channel and I can get BTC out of my Lightning channel back onto the main chain. And... Uh, I'm not even going to touch on the technical aspects of that because it's, I mean, pre-image, uh, somebody says pre-image to me and I just go, uh, blah, blah, blah. so in it from, I'm looking at the bolts mainnet. Now this is an alpha. Okay. So this is not even beta. This is all alpha stuff. And it looks like the, the it looks like they're playing with two cryptocurrencies, which is Bitcoin and Litecoin. And from what I can see, I can send 
Bitcoin from the Lightning Network to Bitcoin main chain, or I can reverse that and send Bitcoin to the Bitcoin main chain, Bitcoin to Lightning. And I can switch. The, the interface is pretty slick. I mean, I, I got to say the interface is pretty slick. I can change that to where I can send Litecoin on the Lightning Network to the Litecoin main chain. And then there's one, I'm trying to figure, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with it now to get to the, uh, oh, what is it? Hold on. Yeah, hold on. Just, yeah, okay. Well, nope, that didn't do it either. We're, we got someone who, he, he really got into the story. He tried it out. Now, again, it's an alpha, people. Be yeah. careful with this stuff. Basically. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. It is really careful. What's what's the, the funniest part that about this entire front page is that at the very bottom in like eight point font is hashtag reckless. <laughs> and, well, I, no, you did. You did. You had a very good non-technical explanation of what this thing is. It actually clarified it uh, uh, for me some too, because I, I, I was a little confused. What is this darn thing anyway? Um, uh, Phil, did you have thoughts on this? Yeah, I actually was able to give it a try um, just before hopping on the, the show here. And it's pretty cool. Like, you know, it's, what I really like about it is we're just building out all of this infrastructure in different ways so that in the future we can abstract away all this complexity and just send Bitcoin transactions. And it doesn't matter if it's on chain or off chain, like the user as an end user, we're not going to know the difference. It's just going to show up, um, you know, successfully to wherever we want to send it instantly. So, you know, I look at all of these products being released and especially with lightning, like it's impossible to keep up with everything. Like you have bolts, you have submarine swap, there's, there's um, splicing, which is essentially like, I think the same thing, like um, atomic multipath uh, amp, uh, atomic multipathways. So all these different features and functionalities are coming out. They're super exciting. And like at this point in time using Lightning Network, like it's a little bit technical, it's a little bit tricky, but the amount of progress that we've seen in, in like a year is absurd. Agreed. Like, <laughs> like try, try putting, try, try like, pointing out any other technology like that has evolved so quickly in so little time. Like, you know, this thing is, it's, it's unstoppable. And if you're not on lightning network right now, like, what are you doing? Like every time I, every time I see somebody complaining about like slow or expensive transactions, I'm like, you're working with a modem and the rest of the community has moved on to like DSL lines, right? Like stop, <laughs> you're, right. you're working with, with dial up, like move on guys, get on lightning. Well, that was a good, that was a good way of putting it. And again, yeah. there are a lot of there are a lot of fudsters that just think, say, "Oh, lightning is it's a useless, it's pointless, it's already broken." This is the truth here. What these people are saying, David, yeah. you're about to say something. <laughs> Do what? Uh, did, were you about to say something, David? I thought yeah, I heard your. Voice. No, there. Uh, for for whatever reason, my keyboard decided to go like not work for me. So what I was going to do was that there was like on the on. On the thing, there was a way that you can get, you know, BTC to like on Lightning to like LTC on on Lightning, and there was one combination because the combinations are BTC main chain, BTC Lightning, LTC main chain, LTC Lightning, and there's one combination where the the uh, warning, you know, at the bottom it says coming soon, which I thought was funny, but you know, it's it's also about alpha. But to Phil's point about modem versus uh, DSL. You know, I remember, you know, getting on the internet and having to type in full-blown URLs. There was no auto pay, <clears throat> pays. There was no browser going 
and trying to figure out where it is that you're trying to go and just auto populate your URL line. No, 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 no. And these things were monsters, man. It was just such a pain in the butt. <clears throat> and then like even getting, you know, a picture of somebody who had taken a, a, like I used to search for guitar chords all the time. You like sheets, sheets and sheets of guitar chords, but man, that was back even before you had browsers. Okay. That I was using what was, I don't know if you guys have ever remembered this thing, but it was called gopher. <laughs> and it was one of the earliest, earliest ways that you could search what was the internet back then. And it was, this is before Netscape, right? Ancient freaking history, man. And it was just such a pain. And guess what? It was so painful that I did it again and again and again and again, because everything that I was getting out of the internet was so useful that the pain point didn't bother me. And I didn't even really know it was that much of a pain until I'm looking back on it now. So this, this whole, you, we've got to have 10 terabyte blocks and whatnot. I'm like, God, you're, the trade-off that you're looking at in, in the future is just, it's immense. And what I've always, when it, you know, from the time that I didn't know anything about this tech all the way until now, I still hold to the same thing. The smaller you can be, the less encumbered that you are, the faster you can travel, are all good things and that everything else can come out of that because this is like sort of a if you think of it from a design science perspective design being like how do we design anything and it doesn't matter what it is ux permaculture ecologies it doesn't matter if you're restricted what tends to happen is the designer ends up being much more elegant and creative and come up with ideas that are just slick as snot because they do have these restrictions. They can't go past X, they can't go past Y. And when they get these restrictions, they start thinking in completely different ways. Whereas it's harder for a designer, like a, like a, let's say a permaculture designer who goes out and designs tree systems for like, a, uh, like an orchard farm or something like that. And if somebody says, look, man, I have a, I have 640 acres, have at it. And then the designer can actually sit there and be so stunned with the amount, with the immensity of, of what they can do that they don't do anything. And the stuff that they are actually able to do is done poorly. Whereas the restriction set really lets people fly. Well, I, That's I, all I got to say about that. I like that. I like that. The, uh, restrictions uh in you know get people's creative sides of flowing i like that i like that a lot uh jeep your your thoughts on uh going back to the, the bolts uh well that uh the point about the design space is a really powerful point and uh yeah i mean i totally agree with that i think that if you look at somebody who they get classical training in painting or something and then they decide to experiment they're much better than somebody who has no training at all right because they have they have a completely open Designs, they don't know where to start. They don't know what the restrictions are. So that's just a beautiful point. Um, and then on the bolts, uh, all I'll say is, you know, it's kind of interesting because um, I think that this also uses the same like P2SH scripts that um, Abra uses in their smart contracts. Yep. So it's just kind of interesting that here's here's like the one feature that Bitcoin allows in addition to sending and not sending is these uh, multi-signature contracts. And you can see all the insane ways that it's being used. So one is... Abra's version, uh, they're creating synthetic stock indexes and all this crazy stuff, all settled in Bitcoin. 
on the other angle, you've got people using lightning on there and creating lightning. And then on another layer, you've got people creating the, uh, the ways that you can use lightning easier um, than being a technical person and, and having to type everything by hand in terminal. So um, I don't know. I'm just a fan. I don't fully understand the uh, multi-signature contracts yet, but um, I've, got a, I've got a Bitcoin node. It's a lightning node as well. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just a fan. I can't wait to see how this progresses. Wow. All right. Good. Well, we have... We've reached that end of the show, but it's time for everybody to do their conclusionary remarks or just bring up a story that wasn't brought up that I left out. You know, there there's was a lot going on this week. So uh, we'll start. David, what do you what do you have to say? Uh, anything that you wanted to bring up that wasn't brought up? Uh, any thoughts on stuff people have brought up during the show? The floor is yours. Buy Bitcoin. Not investment advice, people. Oh, I, I like the simplicity of that one. I like that. All right, Phil. Uh, yeah, I, I've just been saying uh, there's been a lot of talk this week about like different cryptocurrencies and stuff like that. And what I've been telling people is like Bitcoin's innovation wasn't that it gave everybody the ability to print their own currency. Bitcoin's innovation was that it gave everybody the ability to reject printed currency. So that's sort of my my uh, my statement of the week. Mm, interesting. I like it. I like those final thoughts right there. Think about it, people. All right, G, you, you got the final word. We're glad the microphone situation fixed itself. Thank the, thank God we needed you, man. All right, take All it right. away. So um, I think the, uh, the biggest point for me with Bitcoin that I always constantly try to remind people of is that um, things are slowly but surely becoming inevitable. So, you know, I think like this time, like two years ago or a year ago, there was like the whole Bitcoin cash thing and it felt like everything was going to fall apart, but it didn't because there was a strong group of people who just rejected the poor ideas and the, and the malevolent influence of some of these big companies. You know, there's all these people um, talking about how Ethereum was going to take over everything, but people hodled and um, they, they rejected the poor ideas that people had, which were um, focused on enriching themselves versus creating strong money and safe money that couldn't be influenced by other people. So um, at some point it's going to become inevitable. It's slowly reaching there. And all you need to do is just slowly, you know, invest in Bitcoin, whatever you feel comfortable with, but recognize that um, when it's competing against all these other currencies, everyone is going to have a nice press release. Everyone's going to be able to have some flashy um, tool or something else, but not everybody's going to have the dedicated community that Bitcoin has. Not everybody's uh, coin has like the strong track record of withstanding all these different types of attack from extremely well-funded uh, attackers like Bitmain. And um, yeah, not everyone's um, coin actually is trust minimized like Bitcoin is in terms of, you know, the hard cap on 21 million of uh, Bitcoin, um, in terms of the uh, inability for people to um, put in malicious code and all these other factors. So um, I would just reiterate what everyone else is saying, like just buy Bitcoin and uh, hodl. Stack sats. Yo, man, we got, we got some we got some hardcore Bitcoin people on here today. I I like that. <laughs> maybe maybe I coordinated it that way. Who knows? I'll take credit for it. All right, thank you very much, guest. It was a rocking show. And remember, we do this week in Bitcoin every Friday. Who knows what time it's going to be on? Because I never know where I'm going to be and what I got to do. But hey, just Friday, you can be sure there's going to be a this week in Bitcoin show here. The guests are awesome, top-of-the-line dudes. Follow all of them. They are linked to below. I do a new show here every day. We'll be back on Saturday night for the Beyond Bitcoin show. But for now, I am Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Remember to subscribe to this channel, like this video, share this video, pound that like button, bang that bell button. Shabbat shalom. 
I will see you guys tomorrow night. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye.